If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them with me this morning once again to the Gospel of John. If you're visiting with us, we have been studying the Gospel of John. I think this is like week 29 or something. We took a break for Advent, but we've been in this since early May of last year. And uh, we're just working through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, we're almost halfway through. And this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 10. As you're turning there, and just as uh, some words of introduction before I read our text this morning, today's passage is on the heels of what we would call sign number six of seven. I talked about last week how John has included in his gospel account seven signs of Jesus given Jesus did more than seven things. He did more than seven miracles, more than seven signs, but John has compiled these seven signs as distinct way to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And so last week we looked at the sixth of seven signs, which was this dramatic story of Jesus bringing sight to a man born blind in a very dramatic way by spitting in the ground and making mud out of that. Well, today we come to another significant thing that John is doing in the gospel. Not only is John giving seven signs, but John also includes, sprinkled throughout the gospel, seven I am statements. And we've talked about this already when Jesus declared in chapter 6, verse 35, that he is, or he says, I am the bread of life. And then in the last chapter, in chapter 8, or excuse me, two chapters ago, he says, I am the light of the world. Well, today we come to numbers three and four of, again, seven I am statements. And so that's significant. In talking like this, Jesus is very intentionally connecting himself to Yahweh, to the self-disclosure of the God of Israel. As Yahweh met with Moses, that burning bush, and said, I am who I am. What Jesus declares about himself here in chapter 10 of John's gospel is both awesome in terms of just majestic, incredible, as well as incredibly tender, incredibly intimate. In other words, it's deeply theological and it is intensely practical. We're just not going to exhaust it all. Now, how precisely long after the events of last week have transpired before we come to this week, we, we don't exactly know. The time marker isn't clear. But what is clear is that Jesus starts this passage or this new disclosure with two words. Truly, truly. You're about to hear them from Jesus' mouth. Truly, truly. It's the Greek translation, Amen. Amen, of the Hebrew and Aramaic phrase meaning to confirm. Jesus did this back in chapter 1, verse 51, and now we see it here again. He doesn't need to because Jesus is God, but Jesus is emphasizing the importance and the trustworthiness of what he is about to say. Truly, truly, I say to you. And so let's listen I invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word as our tradition here at Ascension out of honor for God's Word. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. 
Picking up where we left off last week, this is Jesus talking. Listen as I read. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was trying to say to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not know, own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was a division Again, among the Jews, because of these words, many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please go ahead and be seated. Three truths I want to unpack this morning. Three truths for us to kind of hang our thoughts on this morning. And the first one is this. You need a shepherd. Everyone in this room, you need a shepherd. I know we have some uh, dog lovers here at Ascension. Sorry, you cat folks, I'm not speaking to you. Uh, but I know we have some dog lovers, and I wonder how many of you have heard the recent story of uh, Leo, the golden retriever. Leo went for a walk with his owners at Ecola State Park near Cannon Beach down in Oregon. He went for a walk with his owners on New Year's Day. However, in uh, Leo, this three-year-old golden retriever's enthusiasm, he ran ahead of his owners and tumbled some 300 feet down a cliff to the rocks below. Amazingly, Leo survived. He was airlifted out by the Coast Guard 
Some pretty dramatic video there. He was taken to a veterinarian hospital. He got his own GoFundMe page. Of course he did. And he apparently has fully recovered. The story of Leo is a feel-good story because it has a happy ending. But it's a reminder that dogs need their owners or they do dumb things. They do foolish things. We got a puppy this summer who eats everything that she's not supposed to eat. They run off cliffs. They eat things that destroy their insides. You get the point. Well, this morning's passage is, of course, not about dogs. It's about a dumber creature. Sheep. And if you think dogs need their owners, well, then there is sheep. You let a corral of horses out together, and they'll do one, th- one of two things. They'll either run wild together, or they'll come home. You do the same with a flock of sheep, and they will do neither. Because there is no direction There is no coordination. There is no discernment. There really simply is just impending death. You see, God knew what He was doing when He compares us to sheep. Of course, this image of sheep and shepherd in that time and place in the ancient Near East, the hillsides dotted with flocks and their attending Shepherds, it was a familiar image, right? To those who John first wrote to. But surely he could have used a different animal. Why sheep? No, he uses sheep. And it's all throughout Scripture. Psalm 100 Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And of course, one of the most beloved and familiar passages to all of us, whether You know the Bible or not, you probably know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Why shepherd and sheep? Well, hear this. The Lord doesn't make this analogy because He's in any way insulting you or me. No, He he made you. He pronounced you very good. You are His delight. He makes this analogy because He knows us. And He wants us to know ourselves. He wants us to know that we are wholly dependent creatures. Both spiritually and physically. In other words, we weren't designed to live apart from God. We can't thrive apart from our shepherd. You see, as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about us, I was thinking about my own heart, and it just seemed to me that we needed to start here. Because as one pastor that I read this week says very well and succinctly, Most of us don't want a shepherd. We want a consultant. We want someone who is waiting in the wings, who can be called upon when we need him, and who will leave us alone when we think we don't. 
After all, we're capable, intelligent, self-sufficient people. We live in an age of information and science and technology. We can figure it out. The Lord Jesus reminds us this morning that no, you can't. You need a shepherd. We can't figure out how to fix our broken relationship with our Creator on our own, and we can't navigate life on our own either. In other words, brothers and sisters, the message of Psalm 23, the picture of shepherd and sheep, isn't just for funerals. It's not just for that time of big decisions that need to be made. It's for tomorrow morning, and the next morning, and the next morning. That's where we begin, with the simple fact of our need. You need a shepherd. But of course, this passage is all about God's provision. And that brings us to the second point. Simply put, Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the true shepherd. This is the picture that Jesus wants us to see and to digest. At the heart of this passage is uh, the statement that Jesus makes in verse 11. If you have your Bibles open, you see it there. All that flows from this statement, I am the good shepherd. Now that is, a, that is a loaded statement that we could spend a lot of time on. We're going to talk more about it. We're going to seek to unpack some of the richness of this imagery. But notice my statement is not that Jesus is the good shepherd, but that Jesus is the true shepherd. Because I want us to think about the fact, because it's implied here, that there are false ones. Right? That's the contrast that Jesus is making as he speaks to his followers, as he is spe- speaks to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. There are strangers, he says in verse 5. There are thieves, he says in verse 10. There are those who think they might have a right to these sheep, but they don't. And by their actions, they reveal that ultimately, they don't care about the sheep. Well, who are they, we ask? Well, I think you know, most of you, as you've been walking through this book with me, you know who Jesus is indicting. You know who Jesus is talking about. Last week, we had a front row seat to the hostility, to the pride, and to ultimately the blindness of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews. And Jesus is comparing himself to them. He's the true shepherd. They are false shepherds. Now, of course, if you know the Old Testament, you know that Israel has a long history of false shepherds, of leaders who abuse God's people. It was a reality that angered Yahweh and prompted Him to action on more than one occasion. Listen, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 3, God says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. 
And then in Ezekiel 34, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And he goes on and on and on. God's people were supposed to find security and guidance. They were supposed to to flourish in the care of their shepherds, of their leaders. And instead, they find the opposite. And so in both of these passages, Yahweh not only indicts false shepherds, but He also promises and provides relief. Listen to Ezekiel 34.23, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Well, Jesus shows up on the scene in the line of David. And he stands before these leaders who knew their Old Testament well. He stands before these disciples who knew their Old Testament well. And he basically declares, God has kept his promise because I'm here. I am the good shepherd. I am the true shepherd. I am the one that you need. Now, the two words that John and Jesus could have used for good here, two Greek words, one communicates moral intrinsic goodness. That's not the one that John uses. He uses the other which conveys beauty or excellence. That's the goodness that Jesus is declaring. The beauty of His shepherding is what's expounded here. At least it's the tip of the iceberg. And it begins with His voice. His voice. See, as Jesus begins to make this contrast between Himself and the false shepherds around Him, He does it in the context of a sheepfold is what our Bibles say. And the sheepfolds aren't everyday sights for us here in 2024, Northwest Washington. But they would have been for John's original readers and hearers. And what is likely being spoken of, and the, just to kind of fill in the picture a little better, what is likely being spoken of here by, by John and by Jesus is a communal sheepfold. So shepherds would bring their flocks here where multiple flocks would mingle together for a time with a hired gatekeeper at the entrance to just keep everyone there. And then the shepherd would return and he would call his sheep and they would come to him, Jesus says, and he would lead them out. And that's in contrast to, Jesus says, the voice of a stranger, which he can come and call all he wants, but the sheep are not going to hear him. They're not going to listen to him because they don't recognize his voice. We'll talk about the response of the sheep in just a moment, but what Jesus is saying here about himself is so rich and so powerful He knows His sheep. 
every one of them by name. By name. My folks live north of here in, in Linden, dairy country. Herds and herds of cows that number in the hundreds and hundreds. And each cow has a clipped ear with a number on it. Modern day marketing, one of the taglines that some companies like to say is, you're not just a number to us. Right? You're not just an account to us. Jesus gives this image of His knowledge which leads into His care, which starts with His voice that is intimate. Jesus' call is, is not just a whistle. It's not just a, hey you, come over here. It's, Michael, come here. Elizabeth, it's time. It's time to go. You see, you're not a project. You're not merely a servant. You're not a mystery. You are a treasure that the Good Shepherd, the True Shepherd, knows through and through as if you were the only one in His care. As if you were the only one in His flock. Psalm 139. Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Before a word is on my tongue, You know it completely, O Lord. Jesus knows His sheep by name. And He calls them by name. And when Your name is called, You come. (laughs) You have to come. right? Zacchaeus, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down from there. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The voice of the shepherd is a voice of intimacy. It's a voice of being known. And then as we roll into verse 7, another image is brought up by Jesus. The second I am. The first I am actually in terms of order of our passage. Verse 7, he says, I am the door. And I think probably the best way for us to understand and to think about this is to think about that same shepherd, not in a communal sheephold, sheepfold with his flock, but now he's out on his own land. He's out in a, in a sprawling countryside. And he has hemmed his sheep in some kind of an enclosed space for the night, probably made of, of rocks, a rock wall around his sheep. And there's only one access point to get in and out of this hemmed-in place. And how does the shepherd close off that space? Well, often he lays down in it. He lays down. He himself is the door. If anything comes in, it's got to go through him. Some will try by other means. They jump the wall. They try to break down the wall. They try to grab what's not theirs, Jesus says, and try to destroy it. That was the Pharisees doing violence to the people of God through their abuse of their authority, through their abuse of God's law in the life of God's people. Jesus says, I'm the kind of shepherd who, unlike the hired hand, genuinely cares for the sheep. He goes after His own no matter 
the danger. Patience and grace and understanding are the things that he leads with. See, this is such a rich image, this image of shepherd for us as we recognize that we are sheep. As Jesus says he's the door, he's reminding his hearers that no one comes into his fold. No one comes to the Father, we would say, except through him. There is no other name whereby men can be saved. But he's also speaking to the extent of his love. A love for his own that literally goes to the point of death, right? Isaiah 53, that familiar passage of the suffering servant, the shepherd becomes the sheep, the lamb that is led to the slaughter. And then in Psalm 22, Jesus quotes that on the cross, that Psalm of David, and that Psalm speaks about the dogs encompassing him like ravening and roaring lion. And we think about that, Jesus allows himself to be overcome. He endures what he does because he refuses to let us endure it. I mean, that's the gospel. Jesus is the true shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. So what does this all mean? Where do we go from here with this contrast that Jesus is making? What is our response supposed to be? Well, we could spend a lot of time on this, but let me just say this briefly using this third point. Remember you are a sheep and embrace your shepherd. Pretty simple. Remember that you are a sheep and embrace your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd needs to be more than just words. It needs to be more than just nostalgia as it is for so many of us. It needs to be the daily reality of our lives. We need to listen to the one who calls us. We certainly begin, we certainly can begin to understand Jesus' words as a description of what happens the moment we come to Christ, right? As Christ calls us, and as we come, there is an effectual call. It's an effective call. You can't say no to it. He knows his sheep. And they come when He calls Him. That's true. It's one of the tenets of Reformed thought. And I believe it. And I know many of you believe it as well. But I'd like to take it beyond just that point of salvation and the effectual call of God as the sheep hear His voice and follow it. I'd like to take it into our lives by asking the question, do you know His voice now? Today? And I suppose by contrast, as verse 7 says, do you flee from the voice of strangers? What I mean is, are you listening to what He says to you? And I'm not speaking in some subjective, mystical way, but through His Word, through others, 
in prayer? Are you discerning through all the noise, all the voices, making sure that your Savior's voice is heard through it all? And not just listening to all the nonsense. You read internet articles this week, on Thursday, let's say. You read internet articles about politics or about investing wisely. And you spent 30 minutes or 45 minutes or maybe you spent an hour doing that on Thursday. How much, did you ta- how much time did you spend on Thursday in God's Word or in prayer or in silence? You're His sheep. I'm His sheep. His sheep need His voice. You need to know His voice. You need to hear His voice. And the promise of the Word, the promise of the Scriptures that Jesus gives refreshment and restoration in the green pastures of His Word, right? That's the imagery of Psalm 23. We need to hear His direction. We need to hear His correction. We need to hear of His affection. So you need to listen to the One who calls you and you need to know the One who knows you. As I spoke about already, shepherds live with their sheep, right? They, they lay down with their sheep. They sleep with their sheep. It's not just a job to the shepherd. It's their life. It is their love. And if you think about it, all the other I am's, we haven't gone through all of them, but all the other I am's that John will speak of in the Gospel are impersonal in some way. What I mean by that is, I am the light, I am the bread, I am the vine, I am the resurrection, I am the life. This one is not impersonal. This one is right in your living room. I am your shepherd. And the picture that we need to see and digest is one of Yes, intimacy and and union and communion and constant relationship and dependence. More than just Sunday morning, but Monday morning and Thursday night. You need to know the One who knows you and then finally follow the One who leads you. Psalm 23.3 says this, that familiar psalm to so many of us, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, on a sheep's level, a path of righteousness is just a right path, right? For a sheep without a a soul, this isn't an issue of morality. It's simply an issue of what's the correct way to go. And this plain understanding certainly applies to us. Do we trust Jesus to lead us in right paths? Particularly when He leads us in paths or down paths that we wouldn't have chosen ourselves. The Good Shepherd leads in right paths. And here in Psalm 23, we're reminded again of the Gospel. For He who knew no sin, Paul says, became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. Righteousness is our path because by faith we have a righteousness that's not our own. What a Savior. What a Shepherd. Do you know you need Him? Do you know you need to hear His voice? 
Are you listening to His voice? Intentionally so, amidst all the other voices that are coming at you. Embrace the shepherd that you've been given. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and this image that you give us of your relationship to us, your care for us. Lord Jesus, we are yours. And you have promised to be ours. You have called us to yourself. You have given us safety and security in your name from ourselves, from our sin, from eternal damnation. And yet You've also come to give us life and life abundant. Forgive us for so easily, for so often, living our lives as if You didn't exist. As if we didn't need You every second of every day. Oh Holy Spirit, I pray that You would challenge all of our hearts this morning. That we might embrace our shepherd more deeply, that we might embrace our own sheepness more profoundly. Oh Lord God, do Your work in us that Your Word would not return to You void, but would accomplish all You intend for our good and for the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name, Amen.